Hello and welcome to In the Weeds. We're recording live from the Picky Weeds Esoteric Occult Boutique, located just south of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, in beautiful South Abington Township. Picky Weeds is the largest and most diverse boutique of its kind in Northeast Pennsylvania, with an increasingly wide variety of items for many traditions. In addition to items for sale, Picky Weeds hosts a wide variety of classes, events, and community-driven gatherings throughout the year. Picky Weeds is located at 105 Layton Road, South Abington Township, PA. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. More information can be found at www.pickyweeds.com. That's P-I-C-K-E-Y-W-E-E-D-Z.com or on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. In the Weeds is the official podcast for Picky Weeds, where we strive to bring the community together with topics of interest, guest speakers, and informative discussions to benefit the entire community. If you'd like to be a guest speaker, either live or remote call-in, please visit www.pickyweeds.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, find In the Weeds podcast guest application, click it, Copy and paste the text into an email with your contact information and send it to us at pickyweeds at gmail.com. Now, now let's, let's get, get in, in the weeds. weeds. Hey everybody, you're on episode 10 of In the Weeds with Picky Weeds. And today uh, you have myself, John, and Tay. Hi. And we are recording our first episode in our studio at the store. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's very exciting. So before we were using Tay's office as a uh, temporary temporary studio until uh, we get the bookings situated. The, book, the rooms were booked up. Uh, we had a last-minute cancellation, so we were able to move our studio about a month earlier than we expected. So we're, you know, still working the kinks out and uh, we have this atrocious smell coming out of the sink drain that we're going to have to get somebody to look at. It, <laughs> it, smells, like, incense. it smells like demons in here. Uh, yes, it does, Johnny. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, we're, we'll get that sorted and um, we are now in our permanent studio. We have a third mic now, so uh, hope to be doing some interviews or more interviews now not just uh, remote but actually live at the store and we are working on one for episode 11 but we're going to wait to hear back from that brilliant brilliant mind uh, <laughs> as to when the appointment can be set and we can set the stage for him to be on the third mic that'll be kind of awesome yeah so today today we thought we'd talk a, a little bit and you know we've talked about our our past and a little you know, we touched on a, a couple things, but um, whether you can relate to this or not, or uh, whether it's even interesting or not, uh, we thought we would uh, discuss a little bit, and uh, we, we titled this episode, Weight Training for the Soul. Yes, or Band-Aids, <laughs> boo-boos, broomsticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or so, boomsticks, as it were. Was, you know, yeah. we, we've all kind of come from differing backgrounds um and uh being the era that we came up in it was uh, a little bit of a challenge at times and some of those challenges still persist today so hopefully um maybe our experiences might be able to uh give someone some some hope who's feeling surrounded right now so when we talk about backgrounds, I think the reason that we resonate so deeply with blue collar people and with the agrarian you know, kind of people is because that's the background we came from. Like when I was tiny, when we could walk 
um, everybody in our area was a farmer. And it was mainly our cash crop was tobacco. So by the time you could start walking, you were expected to be in the fields with your parents. So we would do, you know, little menial tasks to start with. Like if tobacco leaf fell off the looper, we would pick it up and hand it back to them. Keep them from having to stoop so much because you've got to think how much they had going on and how much their bodies ached. And you're talking about people that are well into their 70s and 80s sitting on that looper or looping tobacco on the sticks. And so... We would be there from the time we could walk, and then when we started school, um, end of the season, ended into kind of the the bringing in of the fall season, um, we'd be putting in the smokehouse and stuff like that. So we would actually get up in the morning, get out on the truck, little sandwich bag, you know, usually with your fried bologna and, and egg sandwich <laughs> <laughs> and whatever you had to drink, and go to the field. And then we would take all of our school stuff with us because we'd actually meet the bus at the field and go to school that morning. So that's kind of how our life was. And then everybody in the community gardened and we all shared gardening crops with each other. Like if somebody wasn't growing tomatoes and somebody was and you were growing squash, you just kind of traded amongst each other. And we had a, a whole community network of just farmers that held till I was 10 years old I thought I was related to all of them. So <laughs> yeah just ex- I just assumed this was my extended family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely and similar, you know, I grew up living on my aunt's farm. Um aunt farm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh Auntie. You, you know, I stayed there so much that I had assigned chores. So we were in the fields, we were, you know, chucking hay and straw bales up into the barn and Feeding the chickens and feeding the, all the other livestock that they had and uh, working the fields that they had. So, yeah, the fact that we can relate doesn't come unnaturally. You know, it's uh, part of the, the background and, uh, you know, including some of the the hardships. Your first trauma was a bull. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, boy and his BB gun. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't shoot a bull in the balls it's just not a good life choice he had a great day yeah it was a wonderful learning experience running my ass off from the field to the to the farmhouse with my aunt saying you you pissed him off you deal with it yes yes yeah that That was was, your bright idea yeah sunny that's a that's a one done thing you never do that again (laughs) (laughs) it's like don't touch that hot stove what oh yeah so but you know you know aside from you know like childhood environments you know where we were raised you know i i've been and i've been an orphan since i was 16 you know my real mom died when i was 14 months old uh she was in her 30s uh dad had three wives all three of them were school teachers all three died of cancer great luck runs in the family apparently um dad was hot for teacher though uh, yeah (laughs) and then my uh stepmom uh came into my life probably i don't know a couple years after that and um i remember parts of it uh as being great um and she was brilliant she had a master's degree in education she had a master's degree in geology which i'm sure she finds freaking hilarious when i can't remember the stones as we have mm-hmm. so freaking many she's uh, looking at you like boy <laughs> um but uh she went into the hospital uh when i was about 12 11 or 12 and i may be getting my years off but you know i'm in my 50s it happens 
Um, she had a uh, she had a cramp in her leg, and then um, six months later, that she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, the size of a baseball on her medulla oblongata. So she went from being this brilliant, kind woman of education and science, and one one of the most innovative teachers in in our district, or so I was told. Uh, to an unpredictably violent person um, that would just, you know, we were riding to school one day and nobody was saying anything. There was nothing on the radio. I was just looking out the window, driving to school, and I caught one in the jaw. And she hit me so hard, my head bounced off the window and right back into her fist. Um, uh, Things like that uh, was the childhood that I knew. You never knew what the mood was in the room and you were kind of cautious before you walked in because you didn't know what to expect. Um, and it was usually violence, uh, and, and violence that was sudden and unpredictable. Um, and so, you know, I, I confess as a kid, I, I grew to, to despise her because I was afraid of her. Um, she was exceedingly violent and then mixed that with, uh, the Christian religion and lots of uh, just beratement. Um, and in fact, Dad came home and and uh, caught her beating me, uh, and he had left. He's like, "Get your stuff." We left, and it was me that convinced him to go back. I don't know why. I just didn't want to not have a family, you know. I think intrinsically you knew she was sick because it was so unlike her. Yeah. Those last several years, you know. Yeah, it was if, terrifying. If you look back at the pictures and how much love there was before the illness, you know, she even dressed you guys alike. Oh, yeah. She yeah. sewed all of our clothes and like this didn't look like some patchwork. It looked like clothes that you bought at a very nice store. You know, she was excellent. To fly uh, on your daddy's Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dad bought her a brand new Singer sewing machine, and at the time, it was like the best of the best, top of the line. And t- to say thank you, she was making him a pair of pants, and she sewed a uh, red rose on the inside of his fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. At the time, I didn't get it. I'm like, why? Well, I don't understand flowers. But, okay. Saucy, saucy. <laughs> but uh, so she passed, and it was, a, it was a horrible death, and the brain tumor... Uh, took over um, for probably about a year, uh, and it was just every day dying a little bit more until the point where she came home for home hospice. Dad had round-the-clock nurses for her, and you know, I'm in the room next door, and I can hear death moans all day, all night. It was traumatizing, you know, and, you know, for all the beatings that I had taken and all the violence, so you're like, you know, it, it was it was rough to reconcile. Uh, but she passed, and um, it was Dad and I for about two, two and a half years. And um, I remember laying in bed, and it sounded like a um, thunder boomer, you know, like a big lightning crash. Imagine the loudest thunderstorm. Uh, and I woke up, and incidentally, I was that room was the room my mother died in, and that was my bedroom now. Uh, the bathroom was right next door. And uh, I jumped out of bed. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, October 4th, 1987. I will never forget that. Um, and uh, my dad was lying on his back in the bathroom, and he was purple, um, throat swollen, and he had had a 
uh, heart attack, and uh, he was gone by the time I could I could get to him. And I still remember, you know, back then this was before the the age of nine one one, so there was no uh, emergency services fast number and. You're a 16-year-old kid alone in a house when your dad just passed, and you're trying to make sense of a phone book that was not completely organized well. The only number that I could think of to call was my uncle, uh, was dad's best friend, and uh, he got up with the ambulance, and he came over. He was only about a mile away. He came over to the house, and that was the longest period of time I think I can ever remember just sitting in that dark house, you know, five-something in the morning, and staring at my now dead father and uh it was just all a blur after that but that moment between when everybody arrived and um um after it happened was was something that was uh interesting um but um so yeah i went to live with my aunt and we had uh i had spent a lot of time there uh she like i mentioned before she was she and her family were extremely fundamentalist Christians um, to the point where if you, if the word hell came out on the TV, she would change the channel. <laughs> and, you know, it I was, one of those. yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. But uh, you, you had kind of uh, interesting Charlie and Bella's whining, of course, because she doesn't understand the new studio. This is not the office. She's actually trying to get to you and can't because of the chair. So if you <laughs> want to push it with your foot, she can stop pushing me around. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm taking a ride in the studio, uh, vis-a-vis Bella, Bella Tram, and she is being just a little bit wicked, but yeah. So that was your, would you say that was your coming of age, losing your religion, apex in the curve? John? I came of age you know, very, very quickly. You yeah. Know, it's, um, you know, one day you're picking out your school clothes, and then the next day you're writing your father's obituary, and... Uh, making adult decisions. Yeah. You know, it was me that picked out his coffin. It was me that made the arrangements. It was uh, myself and his sister writing his obituary to put in the paper. And, you know, it was just, you know, I'm 16. You know, I didn't know anything about anything. Um, and uh, it was, it all happened really, really quickly. But that trauma was something that broke me then. But uh, it's something that's, shaped me since um so uh, anyway <laughs> goes yeah. to, without saying no it gets you know <clears throat> it really changes you and i gotta say coming up evangelical um living with my grandmother a lot and my aunt my aunt Mady bell um, my grandmother had gone a completely different way than the rest of the family. This is my mom's side, my dad's side, and my grandmother was native. But on my mom's side, my grandmother was Jehovah's Witness. Oh, wow. So everything was verboten. <laughs> it was kind of, she wouldn't even buy a washing machine because it turned the way of the devil. So the dasher, <laughs> she didn't want it. So I still remember her having like washboards when I was little and, and great big, um, you know, those galvanized um, pans that you would, water, you know, watering trough style pans. But I remember her doing clothing in that. And she had this huge feather bed. And I remember when she passed on, Aunt Mady Bell, she's, when we called her Aunt Bell, she took over pretty much everything and, I was raising the kids, watching us for our parents. You know, we were constantly with her. And 
she was born kind of a little bit mentally degraded. She couldn't read. She couldn't write. She couldn't count money. She was the most loving human. There was nothing ignorant or stupid about this woman. She was just this brilliant, beautiful love of a human. And people would literally steal from her. She wouldn't even get mad. I wish I could be her. Like they would take her money at the store because they knew she couldn't count. Yeah. Or they would steal things from her um, because, well, they figured she wouldn't notice. She wasn't stupid, people. No. She noticed. No. And I would get really angry, and I'd want her to get angry. And she would just look at me and say, no, they need it more than I do. Let them have it. Yeah. You know? And that was that was pretty... That was pretty amazing to me. So it was a huge lesson in service and humility from her. And then I think that if I had to pinpoint a time that I literally lost my religion, it would be her death. Uh, Because I went to take care of her when she got colon cancer. And I've never seen anybody die so horribly and in so much pain, but with so much grace Yeah, as she did. And she just... She didn't want to complain. She did not want to be a bother. Um, she did not want to be that person. Um, she just wanted to love on everybody and have them around. And that's all in the world Aunt Belle wanted, was to have people around um, and to be loving and to take care of them. And she couldn't. And you could see that it pained her that she couldn't be the caretaker and she couldn't be the you know the one that was loving on everybody. And that everybody was lo- coming and loving on her, and she needed them so badly. And you could tell that it pained her, but she never complained. And I watched her die absolutely horribly, like screaming in pain, you know, until the very last evening. Um, and I went to walk in the bedroom to check on her. And she was rocking the baby she had lost in her arms. And you could make out the outline of this child. Wow. And then I could see the image of a man standing at the end of the bed. And I want to say that he was kind of shimmering, and she was talking to him. And I, I can only assume, you know, that it was somebody that she loved dearly. And she was cooing to the baby and talking to him. And I was frozen, just stuck in this doorway. I couldn't go in, and I couldn't move. I couldn't leave. And I don't know how long that went on. It seemed like an eternity. And finally, I was kind of able to break free from the door, and I I went back out into the living room, and I looked at my sister, and I said, I don't think she's going to make it. I think this is it. This is going to be her last night. I think she'll be gone by morning. And she asked why, and I told her. And sure enough, Aunt Belle died early the next morning, um, and they they came in and did last rites on her. And the the nun then... I had spent a lot of time with her, Sister Agnes. She worked with hospice. And I was in that phase of disbelief. And she was so decent and so respectful. And she's very, very adamant about the fact that she does this for the people. It's not so much that, you know, that there's a belief. But she does this because people need it and because she loves them and she's of service. And she asked me, she said, if you don't feel comfortable you know, being around last rites, why don't you go outside and smoke a cigarette and relax a little bit and I'll come get you when we're done. And it was the most loving thing anybody ever did because I was right there. I was like, there's no God. If there was a God, this woman that's so lovely, loved everybody, never had a harsh word for anyone 
would not have died so horribly. You're a horrible, horrible creature if you are there. And that's that was it. And I was kind of dead inside for for several years after that. Because this is the woman, because both of my parents worked, who pretty much I looked to as mom and as my safe space. You know, when I needed that hug and I needed that love and I needed consoling, that's where I went. And that's what started me on, on the path of questioning absolutely everything. Now, you know, there had been that time dabbling when we were teenagers, me and a friend of mine from North Carolina. I won't name her name, but if she's listening, she knows who she is. When we got (laughs) in trouble with the Ouija board, and she was of an Italian family, and there was a whole lot of magic flying around and a whole lot of practice. And um, not so much practice outright, but understanding of the spiritual world and of the ancestral world. And they just kind of lived with it and accepted it and taught me to live with it and accept it and to know that it was there. And I'm just really, really grateful for you and your family if you're listening. And I love you and I miss you and I hope you're doing well. But, yeah, it's it's amazing to me how I did come back into it is in seeing people when they were dying and seeing the people around them that were waiting on the other side. And that was a hell of an experience and humbling. Good God. Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Painful. Yeah. And, and, you know, death just seemed to be the theme of youth. You know, it's like, I have two, uh, half sisters. Uh, both of them got multiple sclerosis Had a different mother. Dad again, had three wives. Um, this was from his first wife. Um, and, um, both of them passed from uh, MS, and one of them had an issue with uh, uh, prescription pill addiction. Um, so that kind of exacerbated and accelerated her uh, her passing. So, yeah, it's um, it's been it's been an interesting thing. And then you know to go from that as a childhood, and then <laughs> into the uh, career path that we chose uh, was was <laughs> kind of like, hey, let's just you know throw some more stuff on the fire. You know, I mean, yeah. I. I started, you know, I put myself through school and um, worked three jobs. Um, none of them paid for shit. You put all three of them together, it's still a shitty paycheck, but it's better than, you know, just Starving. one. Yeah. Got to do what you got to do. You know, um, I would show up late to one because <laughs> I get my schedule mixed up <laughs> 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 and early to the other one. So, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, that was that was a challenge. Um, and then my first career uh, was in the Department of Corrections. So I worked in the prison system in Detroit. Um, we actually, that's where, you know, we touched on that with uh, Grain Shields. You know, he and I met uh, in Detroit at the prison system. And that's kind of where I started the path, you know, um, with, with, uh, with him. And... Uh, Corrections was was a was an interesting field. You get to meet in uh, all kinds of people, and you know, yeah, it's uh, some of them not so good. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, Bella is just like determined to get to me over here. She is. She has GI Joe'd under the table. She knows when you're sad too. And you see her pick up on that. Has to yeah. come over and, and, and so console. She's getting her butt rub now, so she's happy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so corrections, you know, was a violent place, you know, prison's a violent place. I started out and we opened the prison on Mound Road in Detroit. That's where we did our boot camp, our academy. Um, all of our drill instructors were Marines. Um, our 
and head instructor was Marine Recon from Vietnam. So you can imagine, uh, yeah, he looked just yeah. like Robert Duvall. He uh, did. Captain Wyatt loved him. Except when he put the rainbow-colored afro on his helmet. Oh, yeah, he was nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rode his motorcycle. But, you know, that was my first example, uh, I think, besides my dad, of actual leadership um, because he personified it. Um, and was just a hell of a role model, you know, because I was still, you know, 21 when I started and uh, really hadn't had a father figure in my life since 16 and um, never really fit in with a family. Uh, they, you know, I did the whole thing that so many of us are put into the Iwanas and the vacation Bible schools. Oh, and they, they tried their hardest at indoctrination. It just didn't stick. Rue the thought, you know, and you know, any child that grew up in that time is, is probably well familiar with that because all parents is, and you can't fault the parents. They thought they were doing the right thing. You know, they were trying to what they thought build moral character. Right. Mm-hmm. It's what they were taught. You know, How do they know difference? Tradition. All I knew is that those church buildings, including the church people, all smelled like formaldehyde. They do. I couldn't get it out of my head. It was just this stank about everything, about inside the place and the people themselves. It just Dank, and it, it smelled exactly like formaldehyde. It's like they use all they use the same cleaners for the yeah for like, the pews and stuff, and it's like oh my god, new and improved Jesus scrub <laughs> smells like formaldehyde. Oh my god. everyone knows they're in church. Let us embalm you with the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, but none of that stuff ever ever stuck. Um, you know, you you make them happy and clap your hands and yay and you know because you know you're a kid. And if you're happy and you know, like clap your hands. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't clap my hands. All <laughs> um, but you know, I was trying to not be disrespectful of you know my elders. That's how I was raised, and uh, kind of sucked it up. You know, yeah. um, corrections got violent. I you know I I transferred to Michigan Reformatory in uh, Ionia, Michigan, which is an odd name for a town with six prisons five prisons in it i own you and uh, yeah so i worked in one of the oldest uh oldest ones in the state it, it held civil war prisoners at one time and in uh open bar cells it was rough it was old school if you've seen shawshank redemption that place looks a little newer it um, does doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it it was you know we had 16 to 18 year old violent offenders we had escape risks from across the state we had assault on staff from across the state is a group of not very nice people i never will forget christopher seeing it for the first time when i rode them out to ionia from lansing and we were driving around it you know you could kind of circle around the the perimeter and he went he was young i don't know what was he probably about 12 or 13 yeah, yeah. and he like oh my god it's a fortress <laughs> and i was like yeah it's pretty intimidating right yeah pretty cool oh well grown men would break into tears when they you know because we were the uh, reception and guidance center which is a very nice shiny word for it's the first prison you go to when you've been convicted yeah um so uh you know grown big ass strong street guys would be riding in the prison van from uh, where they just uh, completed their conviction process, sentencing process, and uh, we were the first place, if you were from that region, to come to prison. And uh, it was an intimidating place, I'm sure. Uh, it sits way up on a hill. Uh, it doesn't have a fence. It has a 40-plus-foot wall 
around it and it looks like a castle it's built in the 1800s you know it's uh i loved it yeah, it was beautiful you know but it was violent it's you a know weird thing to say but beautiful my partner and i we would literally flip a coin to see who went to the first fight every, <laughs> and this was every day this wasn't i mean you had days where it was the odd day where you didn't have anything pop off but especially in the summer when it got hot uh full moons and uh you know it it would get wild i've i've been in you know went down when we moved to north carolina i worked very briefly for the north carolina doc and in the interview they give you these hypotheticals well what would you do if this happened and i'm like well i can tell you what i did and they were like what I'm like, no that actually happened and here's what i did <laughs> and they throw another one well what what would you do here well again i would tell you what i did and they're like what i'm like yeah i don't come from happy shiny place i come no. from yeah that and y'all kind of place. don't e- y'all didn't even train people you just stuck them in oh prison. yeah north carolina is weird yeah. you know it's like they don't think with their brains but think with the money you know so they won't put a new officer through the academy until they've worked inside the prison for about six months because they don't want to invest the money for someone that's just going to quit the first day they work so they want people to be in the environment and you know decide whether or not they're okay with being in that environment and then they'll train you it's like putting somebody out there and telling them to do a spell without giving them a formula. It's the most you know? bass backwards thing <laughs> I've ever seen. In Michigan, it was, I don't know, God, I don't know how many months. It was probably three months of classroom and PT. We PT'd everywhere. You we, had an academy. It was a, it was a boot camp. Yeah. You know, we did PT all the time. And when you have a Marine Recon DI, you are doing PT. It is not... Um, you know, look, the same guy that made us do a hundred push-ups also had us marching around the entire prison on the perimeter road and then made us duck walk and then sound off. All right, duck walk and quack, 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 quack. I mean, it was ridiculous, but you know, if you know what a duck walks when you squat down and you're walking, waddling like a duck, but we had to do it in formation in step. And then you had to do a cadence. (laughs) It was a nut. So how does this tie into practice? It teaches discipline, and it teaches you to read, you know, your situation, um, to look for, you know, trouble. And the trauma that, that John has suffered and that I have suffered, there's one or two ways the two of us could have gone with that. He could have turned complete convict. <laughs> you're that close. Well, when I, you're, was, I was half you convict. Just do have in to order be. to survive in yes, there, you, you have do. to you have to walk that line, you know. And if you go in there like they're going to teach you in the academy, and you're going to be the straight laced dude, you're going to get took. Yes, and, you and, are. And, and, and at the same time, if you go too far with it, you're going to prison, or you're going to get you killed. Know, you know, <laughs> yeah. so you you kind of have to walk in a gray area. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. Uh, by the book, but it's also not illegal, right? So you, you, you're preserving order, and you're making sure that the people that were there are that are there are when you leave for your shift they have the same amount of holes in their body as they did when you first arrived yes and uh so i did that for about five years um and i gotta say people spend all kinds of money to go to these highbrow management schools if you want to learn how to work with people um try being a corrections officer yeah uh, because you have to build relationships 
with some of the most despicable people on the face of the earth, but it's not your job to judge them. It's not your job to punish them. It's your job to keep them and to keep them healthy and keep everything that they have coming to them that they get and that you don't abuse that power. So in order to do that, you have to be able to work with people. You have, you know, people that, you know, you wouldn't catch yourself with in the world for nothing, but yeah. you have to be able to work with them. And I think that that was probably, you know, in later years served me well as the best management training I've ever had, Yeah, you know. And, uh, you know, I went from, from that world to when we moved to North Carolina, um, I didn't like North Carolina corrections. I, I thought it was um, just not on the same level as Michigan. I think I'll leave it at that to be polite. Um, it, I, you know, when you're, when you're handing inmates keys, your security keys to go take the trash out. Yeah. Cause you're too lazy to get off your desk. Um, not really yeah, smart. That happened. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw a lot of things and, you know, they were afraid of inmates. They wouldn't talk to inmates. They, you know, sequestered themselves and yeah, I worked death row in central prison. And um, there's a lot of good people there. I uh, met some fantastic officers um, that I still maintain friendships to this day. So it wasn't an altogether negative experience. It's just after Michigan Reformatory, it kind of ruined me for anywhere else. It wasn't really their fault. I just, uh, MR does things their, their way, and they've been doing it since the 1800s. So the, it's hard to adapt to a, to a uh, friendly environment when yeah, you come is. from... Uh, what they call gladiator school in Michigan. It's, yes. That's that's the name that we had, and it was it was very well earned. So, how does that tie in? You've heard us say that we don't summon a, a, a deity in the evocation style and torture them to get them to work with us. You wouldn't do that in the prison system, and you wouldn't do that in the corporate world. What you do is you form relationships with deity much the same way you form relationships and forge friendships with people on the outside okay and so that's probably been a big boon to both of us in practices knowing how to approach it as a relationship and how to build a network and i suggest this for you guys rather than looking back at all these instances of trauma that you've had and letting them hurt you and letting them twist you up to the point that you can't function. Um, take that trauma and take a good long look at it and realize that it's a marker for every new human you're going to meet. See if you see those attributes that foisted that trauma onto you in those people, in that circle. Make sure that your eyes are open. Um, I know it sounds antithetical and people hate this word forgiveness. But when you've been traumatized to the point of just being in a pile, uh, you know, a, a crying pool of tears in the corner, afraid to do anything, afraid to move forward and have a relationship because of the trauma that you've had, you need to take a good long look at how much you're allowing that person from your past, that situation from your past to control your future. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can't let that happen. And you're not forgiving them. You're forgiving the situation. You're forgiving your part in it if you had any. A lot of times you're just 
the innocent victim, but you're forgiving yourself for being in that spot and not, you know, getting help quicker and allowing yourself to be maligned and abused and destroyed by another human being or another situation. So it's not about forgiving them. You don't ever have to forgive them, but you have to rid your life of them. You have to understand that every time you think of them and it causes you pain or stops you from doing something, you're still giving them control of your spirit. And your spirit is just trapped in this human body. And you've heard me say this, and it's a quote, and I can't remember who said it first. But you are not a human having a spiritual experience. You are a spirit having a human experience. That's so well said. Yeah. I love that. And that frees you. And the minute that you can really understand that, you you'll you'll be free you'll be freer to move forward with your life and go forward with that trauma with the awareness of those people so you're just looking for specific attributes everywhere you look and a lot of times you're going to fall prey to misjudgment because you're going to say something jokingly or sideways that's going to remind you or trigger you you don't want to judge the person on the second you want to judge them on their actions. You want to judge them yeah. on the whole. Actions speak louder than words. Yes, they do. So. To use a cliche. Yes. But, you know, and it's like, you know, our previous, you know, Tay and I have been together. Like We just celebrated our 25th uh, wedding anniversary in Samhain. We were, we've been together for 28 years, married for 25. Uh, my first marriage uh, was, uh, was not good. Mm-hmm. I was way too young. She was Me way either. too young. Um and a lot of uh, a lot of things there that were that were kind of shaping too. You know, we had met in high school. Um, I was a complete alcoholic uh, after my dad's death, and um, stopped on my own, uh, which is you know a challenge. Um, but uh, I stopped prior to the first marriage. You know, I pretty much when I graduated high school, um, you know, when you hit 21, it's not fun anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> you when know, adult world when sucks. You're, you're like 21 buying a beer, it's like, yeah, okay, Whatever. everybody can do that. So now it's not fun. <laughs> and uh, so that, that stopped, right? And so it was a 20, I think I was 19, 20 when I got married, something like that. Um, but, uh, we got married and it was like a big fancy wedding and um we had a child together um and um always told each other that you know hey if nothing if something ever happens we're never going to use the child uh as a weapon right yeah. or use the child between us and i meant it when i said it um she however had different ideas and uh, she worked in a in a group home uh, for developmentally disabled adults. Um, they were they were violent quite a bit. Um, they had to physically restrain them, um, and uh, so she had some some war wounds and uh, bruises on her arms and things like that. And um, that's that's what we did. I, I worked in retail. I was like I said doing three jobs and. Uh, going to school full time, um, and we had the child, and uh, she was she was born. It was she was beautiful and daddy's girl, stunning and, baby, stunning. And, uh, I love her to death, and um, 
So I, I went to trying to, you know, I, my goal was going to be something in legal, right? Whether that was um, law enforcement or whatever. But I had a friend of my dad's, he's a chief of police in one of the townships that suggested corrections because they paid better. And the odds of getting in were a lot better because police departments typically only hired like one person at a time back then. Whereas corrections would hire 50, you know, and then but the issue is you have to drive or move to wherever the opening is. Um, and so I went with uh, corrections. And so wor- working towards my start date, I thought, well, let me let me get some additional training. So I, I had signed up for a course in um, New Hampshire called the Lethal Force Institute. And it's basically they, they teach basic firearms, um, things like that. So I was trying to resume pad. Okay, that's that's all it was. Um, but I flew out there. Uh, we had planned this trip. Um, she stayed home. And um, when I got there, the travel agency neglected to tell me that you, you had to be 21 to or 25 to rent a car, 25. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in, I'm in BFE, New Hampshire, and no transportation. Uh, got a cab to the hotel room. The hotel room, because my plane was late, had uh, sold my room out from under me. So I had nowhere to stay, no transportation. And it was just, Crazy. you know, I'm, I'm a 19 year old kid and it's, it's like one thing after the other. I finally said, screw it. So I tried calling home and no one would answer. And I tried and tried and tried for like four or five hours. No one would answer the phone. And I'm now I'm getting concerned because she's not answering. And then this is before the days of cell phones. Right. And, um, I rebooked my flight to leave the next morning and uh, she finally called me back after several hours and uh, acted kind of strange. You know, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but never once did I think, oh, she's doing whatever. That never crossed my mind. And uh, I flew home. Um, and when she picked me up, she was dressed to the nines, like had on her best outfit. Her face is all done up. And I'm like, my dumb ass thought it was for me. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't. Um, when we got home, I was exhausted. I hadn't slept in two days because of the stress and everything going wrong. And um, I went to go to bed and she was leaving. I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going on a date. Um, and... um. So, yeah, I'm like, I don't understand that. That didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, what do you mean you're going on a date? And, uh, yeah, so uh, she flipped out. Um, I had Addie in my arms, which is our daughter. And uh, she started physically punching me. You know, I literally had my back to her with Addie cradled against my chest. And I'm taking hits to the back of the head, the back of the neck. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. Uh, it was just complete bewilderment. And uh, she finally left. And I got Addie settled down. It was about 30 minutes or so to get her settled down, get her back to bed. Um, and there was a knock on the door, and it was a Michigan State Trooper. I was wow. Like, what the fuck is going on? He comes in. He's got his hand on his pistol, and he's looking at me, you know, the way they look at you, right? Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I let him in, and he's like, 
in about five minutes in the conversation, he's like saying that she made the statements that I hit her. I'm like, what? I was never raised that way, you know, and even with the abuse from my mom, I guess some people might react that way. I, to me, had the opposite reaction. Like I never, ever raised that way. And it's not something that I would ever do. I never have. No. And, uh, and not he, in his nature. He's like, yeah. He, he said, what's she do for living? He's because I'm looking at them bruises and they're, they're old. I can tell. And uh, I said, yeah, they're not for me. I said, I, she was actually punching me in the back of the head. And they came down to, well, where do you want your daughter to sleep? And I had no one, right? So I had really no family to speak of. I had to be at work that night in Detroit. It's an hour and 45-minute commute one way as I lived up north of Flint. And, um, you know, what do you do? Well, I think probably the best thing for the daughter is uh, with her mom because I have no one. I don't know anybody. There's no immediate family that I could do that you know i didn't have relationship so that was off Addie went and uh, through the divorce proceedings i didn't i didn't see Addie for about a month and a half i had no idea where she was the mother completely left the state left the area um even through the divorce um she uh she fled the state. The state of Michigan uh, friend of the court didn't do anything to help. And you had full joint custody, uh, joint legal custody, and um, so she's uh, now thirty plus years after completely poisoned the child. Um, I don't know what's been said, but uh, whatever's been said is not what happened. It's uh, her mother's version. Uh, their and mother it's child abuse. Her mother married the town thief. He was well known to be the town thief. Um, and that's who she was going on the date with, uh, that day. And so I, I still don't have a relationship with her and it, it breaks my heart every day, but we've reached out, we've tried and she blocks everyone. She's blocked me. She's blocked Tay. She's blocked Tay's sister. She's blocked, uh, our daughter. Um, we've tried and tried and tried and tried for years. And, um, it gets to the point that what do you do? Right. So, um, anyway, I, I don't know why I got on that long-winded thing, <laughs> but I, I guess the long story short is, you know, I, I, I hear the stories of people that are going through things um, similar, and those kind of instances can make or break you. They're defining. Um, and it hurts. Yeah. It hurts every day. You know, if I feel like, you know, having some pain, I, I, I can think about that or, you know, look at pictures of her and, and wish that we had that relationship. And hopefully one day she will reach out. We're not exactly hard to find, um, but I'm afraid to push too much or push her completely away. So, yeah. um, I'm hoping that as she ages and I see she's married now, I can watch from afar and that's the best I can do right now. Um, and so that's what I do. Um, but those kind of instances from the death to the, to the trauma of basically losing a child or losing contact with a child, they can make or break you. And Absolutely. those are some of the things that, you know, you do to become who you are you know that it's it also helps to build your willpower and build your inner fortitude right your intestinal fortitude and you can weather those storms and um tay you went through went through a pretty tumultuous time too i did i did and it's like 
I, I like to swing wildly. I don't know how many of you know this. <laughs> Go for the fences. Yes. Oh, my God. So the first one, he was really abusive, and he ended up being a chief of police. And so you can probably much, pretty much detect how that kind of turns out when you're in an abusive relationship and somebody's a cop. Okay. Um, and then so when I finally, you know, managed to rest myself from that situation, and that was on a morning that we were kind of at gunpoint with each other, with a toddler in the house, and you come to the stark realization of how close your toddler just came to, you know, danger, trauma, you know, possibly even dying herself, and you run like hell and leave, then I took about, I don't know, two and a half years alone, because I was just so... So freaking sick of humans, especially at that point in time. Not a man hater, but men in general and didn't trust them. Um, I took about two and a half years by myself. And then I decided to go the opposite direction with my mate, <laughs> which was like, okay, let's go way over here to I will cry in my beer. You know, and um, I'm, I'm very much, you know, an emasculated male. Um, and then at least it's safe, right? No, yeah. not really. <laughs> Because then they'll manipulate everybody around you and make you out to be evil. So what do you do when that happens? And you've swung wide for the fences trying to self-correct and you've overcorrected. Do you get mad? And do you just stay mad? And do you waste that that anger on humans um, and make a complete ass out of yourself? Yes, sometimes we do, and I did for a time. But then I learned Anger works best in ritual. Oh, God, yeah. And it's an absolute waste on a human being. Mm -hmm. So take that anger, that righteous anger, and for you, for your trauma, it is righteous anger. Take that anger into ritual and use that rage in ritual. You will be amazed at the energy it raises and the things that will manifest for you when you do direct that into that fire. And let that fury become the ritual. Give that up and take your tormentor's power. You know how you do a return to sender spell and you're returning all their energy back to you? Yeah. Well, something we do when we do it is we take our energy back. We take whatever they took from us, especially if they were like one of the last ones and very leechy and very manipulative and very much robbing you of your time and being very vampiric about you and your energy and your possessions, you know, things like that. And we demand that energy return to us. So take that energy back. And then once you've done that, walk away from the trauma and you'll be able to laugh like we do because you'll, you'll, you'll hear us laugh about it when somebody brings some of this stuff up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I know she took all, all of everybody's shit. I came home from work in Detroit. <laughs> It has been a long day and dealing with crazy people. And when I when I walked in the door, everything was gone in the house, but the bed oh, and the couch. Yikes! This woman took the fucking ceiling. She fan. took the ceiling fan like and the toilet paper. Toilet paper took the ceiling fan. To, I'm like, what the fuck? She had come over while I was at work, and her and her father emptied the house, and they took stuff that wasn't just her stuff. It was our stuff. You know, and I, I'm like stuff that was attached to the you actual know what? house. <laughs> At the time, I, I was the opposite of a material person. I still am. I don't give a shit. Um, I'm like, you know what? If you can have it, I, I don't care. Just 
I changed the locks that day because I was young and naive. Um, should have changed the locks before. Um, but um, yeah, three wires hanging out the top of the ceiling was kind of like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do with this? Pure class. Gonna need right to, there. Gonna need to do something about that electrical power just kind of hanging there. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was nuts. But you know, instead of crying about it, I'm like, well, she made room. So I mean, I had the ultimate bachelor pad there for a while. You had a quote in the living room. I had, you know, I got <laughs> something I always wanted to get into when I was younger, and my parents would never allow it. Um, was martial arts. So. Uh, I kind of credit martial arts for helping me with that discipline and, and giving me some strength to get through those times. You know, um, I had started in a McDojo, uh, was a McDojo, but the instructor was, was, was an ex Olympian and he was great. He was fantastic. Like his heart was in the right place. It wasn't all about making money, although he did make a lot of money. Um, but he actually poured his heart and soul into every class, too. So you got your money's worth. Um, but we had three guys come in, and uh, they were interested in the class. But at the time, they, they I think they were where I was, just trying things out because I wasn't sure which way to go. And uh, they were like, hey, you want to... We learned something uh, a few weeks ago that 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 uh, technique that you're doing in six moves can be done in one. I'm like, what? And so they showed me. And I'm like, oh my god, that's just brilliant. And he's like, yeah, it's called Wing Chun. I'm like, oh shit. And so I ended up. They're like, you should come with us. I, I ended up going with them uh, to a very closed door uh, training session. Um, and look, m- most martial arts studios have the big road sign out by the road. They have you know, cool ads and, you know, all this stuff. This was not like that. This was not an advertised place. It went by word of mouth only. When you drove up to it, there there was no signage. It was just um, a room with a mirrored window that you couldn't see in and a little tiny cross swords that said uh, Francis Fong uh, Wing Chun. And it was really tiny. Like you had to be up to the door to see it and uh, knocked on the door. And when I walked in, it was like something out of a movie. You know, there was probably 25, 25 people crowded into a space that was probably half the size of our old store. So you can wow. imagine everybody's shoulder to shoulder. There were no seat seats or chairs to watch. And I just kind of like hovering by the door and Sifu was like, you know, who are you? And I told him who had sent me, and he's like, all right, well, we don't spectate here, so you have a choice. You can either participate and uh, or you can leave. I'm Woo. like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I ended up staying, and I stayed there um, probably for three and a half to five years, something like that. I don't know. Time's a blur. It was, it was several years, um, and uh, it was very closed-door practice. He was a district attorney or assistant district attorney in, in uh, Flint, Michigan. Um, very instrumental in giving me some structure, uh, when I was completely in the dark, literally. And, uh, Wing Chun is a, um, it's a martial art, uh, but it was a martial art designed by a woman. Um, it doesn't require brute strength. It doesn't require, uh, any of that. It's, uh, actual, probably the best demonstration of pure raw physics, um, That's amazing. similar to what, you know, some of the MMA folks use on the ground, right? So it's physics at work. And, uh, it was fascinating. It was a thinking person's martial art and and it was very much like a chess match where you, you weren't just reacting to things. You were 
setting techniques up six moves ahead, you know, and it was, it was interesting, you know, and there's people from all walks there, but most of them were corrections, law enforcement, things like that. Uh, military guys. Um, there were some women there and we had a little itty bitty, uh, she was one of our senior students and I mean, watching her go toe to toe with the number one student was just inspiring, you know, like, wow, she probably weighed a buck 10 dripping wet and she's going up against a guy that's twice her size, twice her weight. And she's doing well, tearing them up, you know, and it was like, <laughs> wow, that's impressive, you know, so, you know, it's not some Americanized nonsense, you know, and I, you know, at one point in my life, it became so devoted to as I was going five days a week because, you know, he taught a couple other arts on other days. So one day we would have Wing Chun, the next he might invite you to Muay Thai. And if you do well there, he may invite you to the Kali, Eskrima, uh, Penchek was actually Salat class. And uh, it was fascinating, you know, and I had a great time and met some of the most interesting, amazing people uh, in that era. But one of the big things I took from it, and I still apply it today, is the discipline. We talked about that on the last episode. Uh, so discipline's everything. You know, like Tay just mentioned, pouring that pain, uh, anger, hurt into your ritual, that energy, that is, it's raw energy. You know, uh, if you've ever experienced a loss and that feeling that you have, it, it, where you feel like you can't control anything, like th these things are just happening and it's beyond your control and that rage or frustration that you get from it or someone does something wrong to you and you feel powerless. But that anger, that rage, that's that's the energy we're talking about pouring into your into your magical work. Yes, it's you, wasted on humans. You know, because you can argue all day or yell or fight other people. It doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. But if you use that, especially, you know, you learn how to harness that, that emotion where you can bring it up on demand from, you know, all the things that have happened to you or that life did to you over the years, that raw emotion, that raw energy is, is, is the biggest battery in, in ritual yes. uh, for me, you know, and uh, I, I don't really know how else to describe it other than. You know, it's it's just like a big battery pack. You know, we all carry the baggage around with us, um, but it doesn't do any good to sit there and and bemoan yourself and life is awful. And, you know, you think right at that moment that you're experiencing the worst pain and nobody else has ever experienced that. But in the truth, the truth be told, most people go through some traumatic things. Yes. You know, and most people are, are you know, Broken toys, as we call them, you know, we, we've been broken, you know, life broke us, um, but we put ourselves back together and might be hodgepodge with some scotch tape and Bondo, but we're still putting one foot in front of the other every day. And I think that's really important that you take that lesson uh, from, from the hardship. You know, these things are, are meant to give us experience and meant to teach us that we can overcome it. Um, but, uh, and frankly, I don't like it if you don't have some flaws. Oh, yeah. And don't. Oh, yeah. If I you've had a relate. sheltered life, get the yeah. fuck out of here. I cannot relate to you at all. Yeah. And would you say that um, 
this helps protect us when we've done this for ourselves from having that guru savior complex oh. you know looking for a savior oh yeah i'd yeah. say that when you put your you put yourself back together and you've decided not to let your traumas be your master and to destroy your life and that you're going to show them that i can still have what i want and you're not stopping me and i'm not going to let your voice live rent free in my head yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, that you won't have that savior complex and find yourself being, um, uh, you know, I need a savior. I need, I need a white knight. I need somebody to step in and protect me from the man. You know, you won't have any of that complex. No, you learn to stand on your own two feet, and you learn to weather the storm. You know, you you get that that chin up and the you know the firm the firm stance, you know, but at the same time, you don't let it harden you off to the point where you can't be accepting or listen to other people, uh, which is what we do every day, right? People come in and trauma dump every day. And yeah, sometimes it's a bit much, you know, if we've had a particularly rough day ourselves, that sometimes it's hard to listen to someone else, but that's kind of what we do. That's kind of what our position here at the store is. Uh, because sometimes these people don't have anyone else to talk to. They don't have anybody else to to relate yeah. to because they can't relate to them. Yeah. Someone will tell them, well, just go to church or pray, pray a little bit more. But they're pagan, yeah. right? That, that advice doesn't carry no. with us, you know. And sometimes you just need to hear from someone that shares your values and shares your uh, belief system. Even if it's a different system, it's still similar. Right. And, and, and we get that. And that's why we don't charge for consultations. Yeah. I've seen My other God. stores, $25 an hour for a pagan consult. Get the fuck out oh, of for here. For spiritual counseling. That's your Jeez, job. Really? That's your job. That's your yeah. job. If you're going to run a pagan store or a metaphysical store, you need to expect people to come in and want to talk and have questions. You know? Yeah. And that, that's part of it. That's why our counter is so freaking huge because there'll be multiple conversations going on at once, you know. And sometimes, yeah, it gets overwhelming. And sometimes in our days off, people are like, oh, I want you to come over. I want you to do stuff. Or can I come over? And no, we we're need tired. we need those days to recharge you our social reset. batteries so that we're good for you next week. Yeah. And it's just and we're not trying to be rude. You know, we love you. Um, we do. And it's not personal, but we have to have that recharge time. And I think if you're going to anyone, even not even stores, but, you know, practitioners, I think it's really vital that you don't do witchcraft 24-7. Yes. Okay. Have, a, have something normal in your you, life. You need that something is mundane, mundane to take 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 the yeah jinx you need to take the uh focus a little bit and let your brain relax a little bit i'm not saying abandon it i'm saying don't think that everything and everyone you talk to or everything you do has to be related to your spirituality no it 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 can still be related you're trying to escape that right you're trying to escape that evangelicalism of your past yeah and it's important it's a very important so if you have a hobby, if there's something that takes your mind off the world, if it's reading a book, it doesn't have to be a pagan book. Maybe you like fiction, or maybe you like nonfiction, or maybe you like video games. I play video games, and incidentally, we have a Picky Weeds Guild on Elder Scrolls Online. So plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. It's on PC, North American server. <laughs> uh, so if you're on Steam, give me a, give me a holler. 
It's uh, Dumuzi, D-U-M-U-Z-I, 777. <laughs> Shameless. And uh, we'll get you in. But, you know, it's a private uh, private guild. It's just Tay and I and, and the people from the store, friends and family. That's it. We don't mm-hmm. recruit other people. Um, but we, we'd like to have more people and, and have fun with. It's a it's a big MMO. It's a open world, uh, somewhat open world universe. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Takes our mind off things. Or sometimes we just sit and watch TV, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. You know, watch a show that doesn't have anything to do with it. Read a book. Take a walk, walk down the nature trail that's right next to the store, you know, or walk in the woods, you know, wherever you may be. Um, I think it's really important to take your mind off of things and then get back to study. Plus, you'll open yourself up to other ideas that will just kind of occur to you in the in the mundane process of of crafting or reading. and, And you you allow yourself to hear other voices other than your own, and let that speak to you. And sometimes it speaks to you spiritually, and sometimes it helps you craft, you know, a better plan for tomorrow, you know, for your day-to-day. Yeah. But you've got to have that balance. You've got to have that work-life balance, and you've got to have that spiritual work-life balance. Yeah, it's really important. And, you know, whether that's going out and playing a, a game of basketball with your friends or watching a ball game, whatever makes you happy um, and, and something that you can get into – and we're not saying that it's you don't continue your study and continue your work. Of course you do. And if if that's what makes you happy, then then by all means keep to it. But for a lot of us, um, we we need that reset period, and that's kind of the time when you're allowing uh, the knowledge that you've gained by reading or study uh, to kind of sink in. So yeah. it's it's kind of the difference between theory and practice. So reading and learning and all that is theory. Practice is practice, but it's also that that like what Tay just said, when you're doing something mundane, sometimes the most sacred things will come to you. You know, I mean, look at look at the what the knitting that you've been doing. It's yeah. meditative, yeah. right? Um, music. Me l- listen to music. Sometimes the right music can take you to that place, and it, it's it's awesome. It's what everybody should do. Uh, but, you know, I want to caution also talking about the trauma and, you know, you see, you know, like I said, we get trauma dumped on here every day and that's fine. It's fine, folks. It really is. Um, uh, but don't let yourself become codependent on on other people either. Oh like a lot of people like to live vicariously through their friends or people they look up to. And you're doing yourself a real disservice uh, by not stepping into the fire on your own yes it's the worst pitfall ever because you'll find it's human nature for for people to try to make you into a mini replica of themselves and that's that's not because they're evil or vile it's because they want to feel comfortable you know and if i've got if i've got this carbon copy of me sitting over there that i taught everything i know and they act just like i do then it's reaffirming for me that i'm on the right path don't fall for that pitfall because the best of teachers are going to want to watch you flourish, oh, God, and yeah. they're going to want to watch you to gain insight oh, to yeah. better ways to do it themselves. The best teachers out there are watching their students, not with an eye of they're doing it wrong, but with an eye of how is it working for them? How is that working for them? And hey, 
wait a minute, did they find a shortcut I didn't know about? Yeah, yeah. it's that new yeah. perspective. <laughs> yeah. It's that new perspective, like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about it like that. That's yeah. brilliant, you yeah. know? So you have to really be careful both as teacher and as student. Right, that you, not everything is what well, we hear somebody talk about it today. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, yeah. And you put it together, and if it doesn't fit, you just you shave the shave, corners shave a little bit and off push it, was, it together. It was another podcast we're listening yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, three yeah, pagans was, and a cat. Yeah, it was yeah, great. It was yeah, great. They're great. I had to giggle at that one. I was uh, like, yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's pretty it. much me. I don't fit into any box either. And so, so many of us, are, yeah, so many of us are like that, <laughs> you know. And and it's okay. It's okay. And don't don't think that because the person that's mentoring you does it this way. It's okay. Learn it that way. But don't be afraid to experiment. Put you know, spice in it. Try, a yeah, flare. Put, throw your. It's like a cover song. You don't want to hear a cover song done exactly the way the original artist mm-hmm. did. You want to hear that person that made it their own. You Besides, know? you can always hear that it's not the original artist. Oh, you go, yeah. You don't sound anything like them. You know, but sometimes <laughs> those covers are even better. Yes. You know, it's just because that artist... Disturbed, sound of silence. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Uh, David Draymond. Oh. But, um, yeah, so don't be afraid to do that. Learn the basics. Learn how they want to teach you, and that that's proper. But don't be afraid to throw your own spin on it and put your put yourself into it. That's what makes it powerful. It's like... I'll use the LBRP, right? So when I was learning it, we talked about, you know, Tay was had the book in her hand and was correcting, correcting this, correcting that, your wrong word, you did this wrong, did that wrong, and you keep doing it until you practice. But once you learn it, once you know it, it becomes its own thing with you. It's yours. You'll start to feel it. Like yeah. it's completely different reading a ritual by rote from the book as opposed to incorporating the words into yourself, into your personal practice. And then when you do it, it's yours. Yes. And it, the vibration, the effect, the results are so dramatically better than just reading it off a script. Yeah. You know, and it's like this podcast, we, we put bullet points up. Okay, we want to talk about XYZ. Yeah. But we'll have 25 minutes on one bullet point and yeah. it's not scripted. We wander off down the path once in a while. But that's, that's <laughs> we wanted this to be a conversation like yeah. we were sitting at the store and we're all sitting around and we're having a conversation and Bella farts and Bella pants on camera. We do everything in one take. We don't edit and that's why. We yeah. want it to be comfortable. As real as possible yeah. and not some production thing that oh wow their audio is perfect. Yeah. Whatever. I don't really give a shit. Yeah. If, if I'm it, not perfect. I want it to be a conversation <laughs> and uh, that that's why we do what we do, the way we do it. And Take that into your personal practice. You know, don't worry about the theatrical performance. Yes, ritual is very theatrical, can be. Yes. But let it be your theatrical performance. That's what, you know, you're you're putting yourself into it and the results are so much better. Yeah. And if it makes you feel good to paint yourself up in purple polka dots and put on a tutu for ritual because it makes you feel freer to express yourself, that's and, beautiful. Do it. And Do it. While we're talking about mentors, just a word of caution. And, and there's some – they're around Ooh, here. They're around everywhere. Masters. You're going to see these people, and they want to teach for money. And they, they, they're masters of like five different traditions. Yes. Oh, uh, each one of those traditions could be a lifetime or even multiple lifetimes to get to the level where you could comfortably refer to yourself as a quote-unquote 
master. Yes. Right. And so somebody who is is offering to teach people for hundreds of dollars, you can be a master too, and I will give you a certificate. Americans love certificates, right? Yeah. Be very careful, okay? Because while there are so many real genuine practitioners, especially in this area, there are also a handful of just shysters. Yeah, absolute charlatans. Misrepresenting oh not only themselves, but misrepresenting the traditions. So before you take on someone as a mentor, make sure you 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 give, do a little research. Or use you know? a little logic. Yeah. Look at what they're teaching and go, oh my God, I know that this tradition takes... 30, 40 years on its own, just pure practice to learn. On average. Yeah, could on be, average. Could be more. And yeah. this one might take a lifetime, and then it might it might require an ascended master who is reborn to the path, and they're claiming to be a master of it. Run like hell. Yeah. And one thing we do here that we try to do from the beginning is we try to open up to the entire community and let everybody come in and have a chance to teach. And then we discovered that you can't do that no you can't do that because what you're doing to your community and to your you know call them customers but we call it community is you're opening them up to be used to be abused to be oh god maligned yeah in a lot of ways um because some of these people that you'll bring in they play a good game oh yeah or they'll they look, look good, good on paper. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> but yeah, they'll look good on paper. They'll they'll talk a good game. They'll walk a good game. And it takes time for them to reveal themselves. So now what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that they're vetted, not just by us, but we start asking questions about them in the community before we invite them in. And so we don't do that with a lot of, with the tarot readers, but with teachers, we definitely do that. We're starting to ask questions of other long-term practitioners in the area. Do you know this person? What can you tell me about them? Um, what, is, what are their habits? What, you know, have you ever heard anything negative about them? You know, so we're starting to ask that. So if you're, yeah. if you're sitting there asking yourself why we haven't invited you in, um, we're, we're vetting you. And we may never. And we may. So don't get too upset with us because we're very protective. We're very extremely protective, especially after what we've, you know, we've experienced in the past year here with some of our customers um, and what has happened to them. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to tighten. We're going to tighten that knot right down. On, yeah, we on have the a bolt. we have a zero tolerance yeah. policy for bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, even look, we can vet. And do our best to try and still some might slip through, but we, we rely on the people to let us know. Yes. Okay. So it's very important that if you experience something that you're not comfortable with uh, or you don't agree with, bring it to us. Let's talk about it. Yeah. It's, this isn't, this isn't, you know, done one and done. You know, we want to hear if you really liked it and you thought that the presenter was amazing and great, that's great to hear too. But we also want to hear, look, this person was saying this, this, and this, and it made me really uh, uncomfortable. That's not right. Or I wasn't comfortable with this person. Please tell us. Or that's not academically sound. Because none of the readers, none of the healers, none of the classroom presenters uh, work, work for picky weeds. No, it's just, they are their own small business. And myself, we are just trying to give an avenue uh, in an opportunity for people uh, who are interested in doing of service 
events for the community, a space. And, and that's it. But if, if those people, despite our best efforts, um, you're getting, you know, ripoff vibes, um, let us know. Yes, we, please. We want to know. We want um, you protected. We want this to main, be, be maintained as a safe space where you feel that you're coming to get an actual education, that you're coming to get some actual help, uh, that you can come and feel safe and feel good when you leave. We don't want you leaving here with a case of the ick. And yeah. there have been there have been a few one in particular that's tried to get in here, that's in several of the other places, um, that will never be here. Yeah, and um, and it's not that we think we're too good. It's not it's, personal. It's not that. It's we we don't want our people hurt. We yeah. don't want our we don't want our clientele to be misused and abused and you yeah. Know. So I mean, just know that. You know, if that person's there, it's like, yes, we have tried to do our best in vetting, but sometimes things come out over time. And the the person could be great for the first few times and then, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that can happen to anybody, You know, too. so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let us know. Let us know if there's ever anything that makes you uncomfortable because that is not what we want. We want this space to continue to be of service for the community and if you have something that um, you would like to offer to be of service to the community come and tell us yeah and um, there's been some changes you know the podcast studio is now occupying what was room one uh, so there is now one bookable room uh, room two um, we had to eliminate the free uh, if donations uh, were charged um, basically because there was some people taking advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, the donations part was intended to be for community, like Mary Ellen, for example. All of her events are donations-based, but she doesn't pocket the donations. The no. donations go to the food bank in Clark Summit, as do the donations on both of our altars go to the food bank in Clark Summit, because especially in these challenging times, people are hungry you know, and it's hard to buy food. Groceries are insanely expensive. So if we can help give back to the community, and Mary Ellen is very firm on this, hand delivers it herself, does not want the food bank to advertise where it comes from. She doesn't even want the credit, nor do we, yeah. right? So that's why that's, that's the donations base that we had in mind. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were doing donations based for personal reasons. From personal if you're going to do that, then just say, look, these are my fees. This is what I charge. And it's $25 for the room for the entire day. And if you compare prices at most other stores, it's going to be much more than $25. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's basically so that you have skin in the game and you show up. Because we've had a lot of people, especially the donations paste in the past, that didn't show. Yeah. And then we're stuck with people coming in upset because they were supposed to uh, have a session with you and you're not here because you didn't feel like it. And or they didn't come in for a reading and you weren't here. You know, and yeah. that's that's not cool. No. Right? So if you're going to book something, then you should intend uh, on being there and following through. Yeah. it's 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 important because people get, you know – disappointed and that reflects on us too and, yes. and it's not our Absolutely. fault either yeah. but people associate that with picky weeds yeah. and these people are their own entity yeah uh, so i feel really confident in the people that we have now um they're fantastic um they're adults liz does excellent readings uh, mary ellen does she does the wednesday meditation uh every si every wednesday at six 
and does a little fire ceremony if she doesn't light her tables on fire. <laughs> it only happened once. Yeah, just once. <laughs> I kid. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> down, down, down in a burning ring of fire. I felt so bad for her. I really did. We weren't mad. No. At all. It we happens. Are. It can uh, happen to anybody. Um, but, a- you know, she's a she's a highly trained and experienced person. She She knows what she's doing, as does Liz. And, you know, anyone that teaches here, you know, Kaylin comes in and does the sound bath. She's amazing. She has her own studio now, if you haven't seen it, Kaylin yes. of Earth. On Manola. In, uh, on yeah. Manola Road in uh, yeah. Clark Summit. And yeah. uh, we wish her all the best in that. And uh, she's such a fantastic person, um, just a bright light in the darkness. Big you love. Know? And so highly, highly recommend Kaylin for, for anyone. And um, I think Corinne now has her own studio. Corinne, too, yeah. yeah. yeah she's no. she's amazing at what she does. Yeah. Um, can't say enough good things about her. Yeah. So there are really good people here that are in it for the right reasons. So um, don't don't ever let a, a bad experience uh, sour you. Um, continue to get up and, and try every day. Yeah. But know, this, know that we're looking out for you and that people that we bring in to teach – we are going to know them through other channels, and we're going to know them through other people, um, and they're going to be vetted, um, and we're going we're going to have heard if they've used their position to work nasty little magic on other people or um, try to sexually harass some of their clients. You know, we're going to know, we're yeah. going to hear because yeah. we're going to ask. Yeah. We're going to be very serious about that from you know henceforward. Yeah, if there's one thing Picky Weeds will be known as is that we do have boundaries. Yes. And they are hard and fast. Yes. Um, we we won't tolerate it. And whether you think it's right or wrong, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, but at our store, uh, ethics plays a big role. Yeah. And uh, it will always be that way. Give so. us time if you're waiting. Um, and some of you, if you're waiting, it's no, it's a hard no. Um it's just because we've heard. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we necessarily agree with everything either. Yeah. Even if it's a qualified teacher, it may be something that we're like, well, okay, it's helpful for the community if, if people get some help for it. But do I personally subscribe to the, the theories? No, no, it's no, not my path. And, and it's okay. It doesn't have yeah. to be like that. No. That, that doesn't matter. It, as long as the person that is presenting is doing it in an honest, ethical, straightforward manner, and the material that they're presenting to their best ability is accurate, uh, then it doesn't have to fit my personal ethos or taste. No, heck no. Okay. Sure, no. This, is, yeah. this is to help different people, different strokes, right? Yeah. And uh, we had Daniel in here doing Kabbalah. He did a fantastic job. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. People lecture. are clamoring for more of that. Um, Daniel. Uh, is a um, retired rabbi. Oh, no, he's a, pre- he's a former rabbi. Former rabbi. Um, but his knowledge and his presentment, his presentment, okay? So you can have the most knowledgeable person, but they can't present for shit. Daniel can present. Like yes. it, I, I listened to a good part of his class, and it was amazingly delivered. Like it was 100% accurate information, and it was delivered in a way that was friendly, polite, and interesting. Yes. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Um, Raven, uh, when she does her, her temple services and she does her uh, Norse uh, workshops and things, she's fantastic as well. Yes. Uh, very knowledgeable. She's very friendly, very open. She loves questions. She loves being challenged. And 
That is exactly the kind of person that we love to host. Yes. Um, so. so if you're that person, reach out to us. Yeah. We're very interested. It doesn't have to be our path. Um, I don't even know exactly what my path is. Come on. I'm just very eclectic. So, um, but there are, you know, we're really, really open to people of all paths. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think we're on, we got to open this store here pretty soon. Yes. We're actually at the store. We have responsibilities. Oh, God. I don't like responsibilities. Yeah. I don't either. Uh, we're uh, about an hour and 23 minutes. I have to go make the tea. Time to make the donuts. Got to start the kettle. <laughs> love you guys love you guys thank you so much for tuning in please remember to like follow share tell a friend we're trying to get uh, and comment guys get this comment. out there yeah talk to us afraid. about yourself and your practice send us an email send us a message love y'all bye so we hope you enjoyed this episode of in the weeds and we hope you didn't have to pick too much pucker brush off your cloak after visiting with us here if you liked the episode please follow subscribe and share and if you're really kind leave a positive review. Be sure to tune in next week as we publish a new episode weekly. If you're in the area, stop by the store and see us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.